Dog, yeah. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show 20-hour, 20-year interview marathon. And you just heard an interview with Snoop Doggy Dog from January 2007. I have spoken to Snoop Doggy Dog before. I've talked to him in the year 2002. I've talked to him in the year 2003. I talked to him in the year 2000. But that was just a little excerpt with Snoop Doggy Dog from 2007. And we're continuing this all the way until 5 p.m. today. We started yesterday at 9 p.m., 20 hours of Nardwarta Human Serviette, celebrating 20 years of the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show. We are also taking phone callers, and we are graced by the presence of a very important phone caller, an interesting individual. Hello, are you there, caller? Hello. Hello, who are you? I am John Savage. Welcome to the Nardwarta, the Human Serviette radio show, John Savage. Hello, Nardwarta. <laughs> Where are you calling from, and who are you for people that don't know? I am calling from North Wales in the United Kingdom, and I am the writer of England's Dreaming, which is the definitive book about, in- about punk rock, and I've just published a book called Teenage, which is a history of youth culture from 1875 to 1945. And John, have you had any dealings at all in all your stuff with Snoop Doggy Dog? Because not only are you a writer, you're also like a magazine writer too. Do you still write for magazines? And have you interviewed any rap stars over the years? Um, I've never had anything to do with Snoop Doggy Dog. Um, I did an interview with Ice-T in L.A. in 1991 just before the L.A. riots, and um, it wasn't too much of a success, really. The atmosphere was very threatening, and I made the mistake of asking, asking Ice-T how old he was. How old was he at that time? A lot older than he was admitting. And, John Savage, continuing on here, I just want to say a few of the interviews that I've played on my 20th anniversary here. We began by playing DOA from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, or we began with my interview with DOA. What do you know about Canadian punk rock or Canadian teenage connections? Um, Well, um, obviously I know about the Diodes, who were a very good punk rock band, and I had the... um, their first album at the time it had great songs like Time Damage and Child Star and they had a great single after the album called Tired of Waking Up Tired um, which in fact I still play sometimes when I DJ Um, and I've got a very good Canadian friend in Toronto called Adair so she's listening hello Adair and she's told me a lot about the sort of Canadian relevance of things I suppose my first encounter with it would have been Obviously, Neil Young. Um, I was a big fan of Buffalo Springfield way back in the late 60s. But I also really liked, um, I really liked the Guess Who American Woman. God, that was a great record. It's interesting that a lot of English rockers have ended up in Canada. For instance, I think one of the drummers of the Kinks, was it Pete Quaife? Was he the drummer of the Kinks? He was a bassist. Didn't he end up in Canada? He ended up in a band called, I think they were called Maple Oak, and he ended up in Canada, yeah. And Long John Baldry ended up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, too. Ah, uh, God bless him. Did you have any encounters with Long John Baldry since he lived in Vancouver for a long time at all? Do you think he played any role at all in the kinks in some of the cool punk rock angle? Um, probably not. I mean, it's, it's, um, the great thing about Long John Baldry, however, was that he was gay, and so he's part of that very 
kind of interesting mid-60s scene that Rod Stewart was part of. And, and, um, and um, I have to say that he's one of those people that never sort of made a really good record, I don't think, um, that it was all kind of live. I think his, maybe his early 70s albums were quite good. But um, no, I never interviewed him. The people I, I interviewed personally was, was when I was um, a music writer in the late 70s and I wrote a lot about punk rock. And then, of course, I interviewed a lot of people for my uh, book about punk rock. England? But, um, so I tended to interview famous people between sort of 77 and about 93, 94. And you were John Savage, live on the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show, 20 years, 20 hours straight that I've been going here. And this is a live interview with John Savage. So if there's anybody listening that would like to ask a question of... John Savage, author of England's Dreaming and also author of Teenage, please call in 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR. Or you could also email a question in to nardwar at nardwar.com. And again, this is a live interview. You are live right now from London, England. Are you not, John Savage? No, I'm from North Wales. You can't say that Wales is in England. Everybody gets very upset. Uh-oh. Okay, but you're live from North Wales then. That's right. Now, speaking of geographic locations, John Savage, does it all go back to Deptford? What is Deptford? Does it all go back to Deptford? Uh, no, it doesn't. You don't I'm think a, so? A Deptford is in, is in south-east London. Uh, and I originally come from West London, so I have to say, obviously, that it comes from West London. The punk rock comes from, well, it comes from a variety of places, but in, in London it was either uh, the Clash were from West London and the Sex Pistols were, were from sort of central London. But so, what about... Yeah, there are the two, really. What about Goldsmiths College that had Malcolm McLaren and Sniffin' Glue? Weren't they from Deptford at all? Isn't that an uh, important yeah, place? Yeah, uh, Mark Perry, um, the guy from... Uh, the guy who did Sniffing Glue, which is the first uh, British punk rock fanzine and a very good one. Um, and that was <clears throat> Mark... And he came from Deptford, yeah. But, I mean, Deptford, you know, you really don't want to go there. It's horrible. Because I was thinking that South London, London does rock. Like, everybody says it's North London is rocking. There was some... Is there any rocking in L South London, or is it really that horrible? It's horrible. Don't go there. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead, caller, to John Savage. Uh, Mr. Savage... Well, first, I'd like to congratulate Nardwar on 20 years. It's Greg Diamond calling from the uh, darkest corners of CBC in Toronto. Oh, I'm well. a great admirer of Mr. Savage's writing. Oh, thank and, you. Yeah, and I, uh, I've actually booked you on a CBC radio show in the early 90s to talk about England's dreaming. So right. Nice to chat with you. Um, I had, how, Nardwar, how many questions may, can I ask <laughs> as a caller? Go ahead. Go. Fire okay. away. My first question... Actually, I should say, Greg, welcome to the Nardwar to Human Survey Radio Show. You've been on my show a few times, actually. I've probably interviewed you a few hours of the 20 years, right? So go ahead. I've taken away your time, so go ahead and take mine. Go for it. Thank you. John, in the new issue, a relative new issue of Mojo, you talk about moving to Manchester. Yes. In April 79. That's correct. Living with Tony Wilson. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that? And, and what, how did you decide to move from London? Obviously, you saw the first wave of punk in London, and then you went up to Manchester, I guess, for the post-punk era. Or how, did, how did you make yes. that decision? Um, well, when, um, well, the big thing for me was going up to see the last night of the Electric Circus, which was Manchester's punk club, and it was closed down by the fire department. And that was October 77. 
And I was very struck when I went up there about how great the Manchester punk scene was, as opposed to the punk scene in London, which by autumn '77 they've got pretty bad. Um, there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cocaine around and a lot of very bad punk rock groups, um, you know, pub rock groups, and it was, it was, it was not so good. And I went up to Manchester and um, I saw all these groups. And they really seem to be saying something, you know, The Fall, The Buzzcocks, uh, Magazine's First Gig, um, The Worst, The Prefects, and, of course, Warsaw, who, who later became Joy Vision. And I actually wrote about them when they were Warsaw, and I said, well, you know, there's something pretty interesting here. Mm-hmm. And that started a connection with their manager, Rob Gratton, who sent me a copy of the album they did in 1978, which was never released. And I got friendly with Tony Wilson, um, and Tony Wilson said, um, kind of the unspoken deal was that I'd come up to Manchester and write about their bands, and he'd get me a job in Granada Television, which is the big TV company based in Manchester. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I moved up to Manchester um, once I'd got this job with the TV company, and I read about Tony's bands, which were which is basically Joy Division. Um, but I wrote about the first factory sample when it came out in late 78 and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was in the swim of it all. I was curious, John Savage, and we're speaking here live to John Savage on an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show, 20-year anniversary special, 604-822-2487, UBCCITR, if you have any questions, or if you're listening online, Nardwar, that's N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R, at Nardwar.com. You mentioned Manchester. What about Slaughter and the Dog? Weren't they from Manchester? Don't they get kind of like a bum rap? I love Slaughter and the Dogs. They really were quite pioneering, weren't they? Well, Slaughter and the Dogs was um, was one of Martin Hannett's first productions. Um, he did um, Cranked Up Really High with them. And, um, yeah, you know, a couple of good records. Not nearly as good as Buzzcocks, sorry, you know. Um, I mean, I saw all these bands, you know, so I, I can, you know, I saw what they were like. I saw what their presence was on stage and how they were and whether they were doing anything interesting. And Slaughter were like a glam rock group, you know. It was like that Mick Ronson thing, Slaughter on 10th Avenue and Diamond Dogs, you know. So it was a bit, already a bit kind of, you know, the previous era. But they made a couple of great singles. They had another one, um, Where Have All the Boot Boys Gone, which is a kind of trash classic. Caller, you had another question for John Savage. Yes, just one more, Nardwar. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm uh, reading now. I, this is, question is kind of a tribute to Nardwar because it involves research. Um, a few years ago, the Pet Shop Boys re- re- re-released several of their CDs with these wonderful booklets. And I just, oh, want, yeah. to, I just want to read from one. It's the re-release of their CD, Very. Um, and Neil Tennant is writing... I walked from Charing Cross Station home to Chelsea, making up the words in my head. He's discussing Can You Forgive Her, the first single from that movie. And I started to laugh when I thought of she'd made you some kind of laughing stock because you dance to disco and you don't like rock. It seemed to sum up the Pet Shop Boys. The title comes from the novel of that name by Anthony Trollope. I was reading it on holiday, and John Savage said to me, that's a very modern title. A few songs later, Dreaming of the Queen, um... I already had the chorus, which was originally Only Lovers Left Alive, from the title of a 60s book, which John Savage gave me about a world where there were only teenagers. And oh, obviously yeah. you know these guys, John. I just want to ask you, speaking of groups that might not get their critical due, I, I think the Pet Shop Boys catalog over the last 20 years is up there with 
the Smiths and Joy Division and New Order. And, and I, I wonder if you could just give some kind of critical context to the Pet Shop Boys. Well, it's very hard for me to do because um, I've known Neil for a long, long time, and he's been a friend for 20 years, so it's actually very hard to do that about one's friends, in that one just tends to be loyal um, and not necessarily, you know, critical. I mean, I think, I think, I think, I think you're absolutely right, um, and I think one of the reasons that they might not yet have received their due is that they kind of haven't stopped, <laughs> and they also don't have to some extent, that kind of rock mythology that both New Order do and the Smiths do. No, I was going to mention, um, because, yeah, you know, they don't have guitars, really. They come out of the dance music tradition. Absolutely, and that's not... Uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of snobbery about dance music, you know, crit and critically. I mean, my attitude about that in general is that now, in 2007, I tend to like to listen more than anything else to electronic music because it sounds modern. It sounds as though it only could have been made in 2007. I know there's a lot of good rock bands in the States, but in the, in the UK, so many of the rock bands just sound like the bloody Kinks or something. It's really depressing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to hear the Kinks. You know, I mean, I, I grew up with the Kinks at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear Kinks rehashes 40 years later, thank you very much. Or jam rehashes, you know, the jam were terrible the first time around. <laughs> so, um, and I do think that rock critics fundamentally um, underplay dance music, and, and they always have done. And it was a great revelation to me the first time I really started to enjoy dance music, which was actually just after punk with people like Sylvester and Donna Summer. I really liked all that electronic dance music that came out. Mm -hmm. And then I really liked the early electro and the early rap stuff that happened in, you know, 81, 82. And I used to DJ at the Hacienda when I was up in Manchester in the first year. And we used to play, you know, the Peach Boys and uh, African Band Barter and, um, you know, the P-Funk All-Stars and all those great kind of electro records that were being made in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. Well, well, thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for phoning in, caller, Great Diamond. Really appreciate it. Anything okay. else you want to add to John Savage at all, caller? No, well, just wonder, is there a second volume of the Teenage Book? Because that <laughs> ended around 1945. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Um, I basically, um, the I... only way I could do it would be just to do a volume between 1945 and 1954. Um, the problem about the whole topic is that after you get into the age of rock and roll, everything is so well covered. I mean, yeah. the great thing about the teenage book, as I conceived it, was that it stopped in 1945, which is around the time that most people think teenage begins. Mm -hmm. So I, I stopped at the beginning. Um, and then when you get into the mid-50s, there is so much material. How many books are there about James Dean? Yeah. How many books are there about Elvis? What can you say about them? So it actually becomes sort of not feasible to be completely thorough. Mm -hmm. So um, the answer is, if there is going to be one, I'm not going to start it for two or three or four years anyway. Right. And it would be a much shorter volume in time. I did think, John, though, there was the opportunity to do stuff because you could do, like, the definitive essay on the mod revival or the skinhead revival. There are all these subcultures, and there have been books done on them, but there's been no book that's, like, had all of them all in it and all covered it really well. What do you think about that? What do you think about the mod revival? You said you didn't really like the jam. Did you like the Secret Affair or the Prisoners or the Squire or the Purple Hearts, any of those bands? Or Mad, well, I have to say that I thought the whole thing sucked a really big one. The only thing that I liked, the only single record I liked out of the whole thing was the Purple Hearts Millions Like Us, 
which was a great kind of pop-punk pop record. It was quite punky, um, and it had a lot of energy. I just loathed the jam from, 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 from the very beginning. Um, I saw them play in 1977. I thought they were really terrible, and I just couldn't, can't understand why people think they're any good. I just think they're awful. Um, and I thought the mod revival was, you know, the most dreadful kind of pointless exercise because the whole point about the original mods was that they were modernists. That means modern. That doesn't mean retro. Interesting. And actually, we have an email question, and it's actually for you, Greg Diamond. It's actually, hey, it's actually. It's interview. It's, that is inappropriate. It's, I'm gonna, I'm, it, I'm no, gonna bail. Somebody asked you, Greg Diamond, to, uh, to I should ask you about the punk scene in Barrie, Ontario. Somebody, <laughs> we'll save that for the 40th anniversary. That's interesting that like people are emailing the callers questions. I guess, Greg, you've been on my show so much that's that people know up. you. But well, I'm gonna go. Look, I'll tell you what. You guys talk amongst yourselves, and I'll go back to watching television. <laughs> well, hey, th- take care, well, well, thanks so much, caller, and do 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 do. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Bridge, Columbia, Canada. We're live on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, 20-year, 20-hour interview marathon. And we're doing a live interview today. This is not pre-taped. This is live with John Savage from Wales. And we have another caller, I think. Caller, are you there? Yes, Nardwar. Go- I just want to congratulate you on the 20 years. It's pretty rad. Okay. Do you have a question uh, for John Savage? I sure do. Uh, he's saying that he loved uh, Buffalo Springfield. And uh, I guess I have a two question. Did he know that there's a movie coming out for Buffalo Springfield? Uh, no, I didn't. Great. Uh, and also, uh, talking about all these electro bands, did you ever interview uh, Rough Trade and Carol Pope? No. I heard of the group, obviously, because um, the Rough Trade shop in London actually took the name. And did they form a band called The Curse? Curse was that a... Was, it, was that a Canadian group? There was an early punk rock band, a female punk rock band from Toronto called The Curse. Yeah, I have that record, Shoeshine Boy. Good record. And, Caller, I know you're a big fan of Dennis Hopper, aren't you, Caller? Yes, I am. And you actually requested that I play my Dennis Hopper interview, but that kind of ties over to Primal Scream because Primal Scream included Dennis Hopper in a song. And I guess I just want to direct this at you, John Savage. What do you think of Primal Scream and how... <laughs> you're asking me about all the bands that I dislike. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... I mean, I've seen them live. I thought they made great records in the late um, 80s. Rather like somebody like Happy Mondays, they were really well remixed. The remixers made those records, okay? Primal Scream made some great... Oh, no, and the other record they made, which is really good, was Higher, Higher Than The Sun. That was a good record. But honestly, I mean, how long have they gone on for? They've gone on for years making terrible records again. Well, thank you very much, caller. And I'm d- sorry, Nardwa. I'm really ruthless. D- that's fine. This. Well, thanks so much, Joe, and do 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 And we still have another caller here. Caller, are you there? Hi, Nardwa. Go ahead to John Savage. Again, this is John Savage live on the Nardwa to Human <laughs> Serviette radio show. 20-hour, 20 20-year 20 interview marathon. This is one of the live interviews that we're doing with John Savage, author of England's Dreaming and the brand-new book, Teenage as well, with a back quote by the Pet Shop Boys. And caller, go ahead to John Savage. If anybody else has any questions for John Savage, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, or email nardwar at nardwar.com. That's N-A-R-D-W-U-A. I, I, after 20 hours, I can't even spell my own name. Nardwar, go ahead. are you on drugs? I, at this point, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> caller, go ahead. Hi, hello, Mr. Savage. It's an honor to hello. talk to you. 
Um, just wondering if you had any uh, opinions or comments about the recent Throbin Gristle reunion. Um, I haven't participated in any of it, I'm afraid. Um, it's been off my radar. You were a fan, though, back in the, in the day, though, uh, yes? Back in the day. Well, I was, I was actually friendly with Genesis, um, and um, I liked very much, uh, you know, liked him as a person. And um, I was very intrigued by what they were doing. I mean, he and I used to have, you know, arguments about what they were doing. I didn't, um, I didn't like everything that they did. Mm -hmm. um, but they were, I mean, I was interested in, they were, uh, they were certainly futuristic at, at one point. And certainly after punk rock became established in the UK and became boring, I was always looking for new things. And they were producing some very interesting records from the late 70s. Mm -hmm. um, but the answer is no, I haven't, um, I haven't been involved in the, current, uh, in, the, in the current reunion at all. I actually don't go to see many shows now anyway, um, but I, I didn't go to see them. It's funny, the first thing I ever read by you actually was the liner notes on the back of the Live at the Ritz album by Psyche TV, actually. I do get people saying this kind of stuff to me. I, 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 it's, it's, um, I actually really like doing liner notes. I think, doing, I think to do good liner notes is a great art, mm -hmm. and it's a forgotten art. Agreed. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your art, sir. Well, thank okay. you. Thank you, caller, and do-do-do-do-do. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Columbia, Canada, the Nardwar 20-hour, 20 20-year 20 interview marathon. It started last night at 9 p.m. It's going to today at 5 p.m. And we have a question for you, John Savage, who we have on the line live from Wales. This is a question for you, John, and it's from Greg. And Greg asks... I am an advocate for the preservation of historic buildings. Are there many of the old clubs that hosted the early days of punk left standing in the UK? And is there much of a movement for the preservation of these establishments? Also, if you were to argue for their preservation, what would you say? Um, I can actually talk about this, not so much in relation to London. I've just been making... Um a documentary film about Joy Division. Um, and we went back to Manchester uh, to find a lot of the places that Joy Division played, for instance, um, like the Electric Circus that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so many of the venues in Manchester from the punk period have gone um, that we had a little section in the film which, which we called Things That Aren't There, and we showed the sites where these clubs were, and it's just like a bit of green or it's a housing estate or whatever. Um, in London, let me just think, the 100 Club is still there, I think. Yes, it is there. 100 Club's still there. Uh, the Roxy is now the basement of a furniture store, I think. Or is it a shoe store? I can't remember. So that's not there. Um, and um, what were the other places? The Roxy, the Vortex, I don't think, is still there. Um, I don't know. How would I feel about that? I think the Roxy should have a place. I think that was pretty important. Um, and the thing to do is just to go along with documentation and say, here, you know, people have written books about this. Um, there's actually quite a, you know, good new book out about the Roxy by somebody called Paul Marco. And, you know, you could put together a whole audiovisual package and say, here's footage from the club. Here's uh, a book about the club. Here's who played there. You know, get on with it and recognize it. Um, but having said that, I personally am not particularly sentimental. You know, a case in point would be the Hacienda, 
Um, and now it's become apartments. Well, do you know what? It was a bit of a hole anyway in the first place. So, I mean, this is the thing with these clubs. Clubs last for a short time, um, most of them anyway, or they have a vigorous life for a, for, for a short time, and then they stop, and that's in the nature of clubs. You know, um, it's slightly depressing if it's, unless it's a beautiful building. Um, I would be more exercised in trying to preserve beautiful old ballrooms than I would be clubs like the Rock Suit, which was actually pretty horrible, you know, from the start. Um, you know, it was destroyed anyway by the punks when they were in there. So, I mean, there wouldn't be much left. Um, so I tend to be not to be sentimental unless it's about a great old building, really. Um, and a lot of the clubs we're talking about aren't or weren't. And we have another caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller, are you there? <laughs> okay, caller, are you there? Hello, caller. Caller, are you there? Okay, caller. Okay, let's try this caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller. Hello, John, are you still there? Yeah, let's talk about how great American woman is. What a great song. And we'll try... Hello, caller, are you there? Okay, hold on. Caller, speak up. Okay, just sorry. This is interesting, John. Let's just... Uh... Okay, there we go. We've cleared the phone line now. The phone line is completely cleared. If you want, phone back 604-822-2487 or email nardwar at nardwar.com to speak to John Savage live from Wales. John, I want to ask about your new book, Teenage. In the book, you're using some pictures of Hitler. How much does it cost to use a picture of Hitler in your book? Does that cost a lot of money? Who owns the pictures of Hitler or Nazi-era type pictures? Well, I should put it into context. Uh, I'm not putting, I'm not, you know, one has to be very specific about this. I'm not using the picture of Hitler saying that Hitler was a great guy. I'm using a picture of Hitler in tandem with uh, a whole bunch of Hitler youths, the estate youth organization. And he's reviewing these ranks of kids who all look the same. Um, and it's all part of material in the book about the Hitler youth, um, which eventually, you know, describes what it was like and in the end goes on to say what a complete and utter disaster it was. So, you know, um, I don't, wouldn't like anybody to think that I, I'm not, I'm using these images lightly. Um, I think it's, to be honest, uh, I think it's pretty easy to find. It's just a kind of standard, um, standard, standard picture library, you know. Caller. Great, uh, I don't think there's any great uh, mystery about... Okay, caller, are you there? Yes, hello. Sorry, Nardwar, I had to hang up on you earlier. My boss came around the corner and I had to pretend I was working. Okay, go ahead to John Savage, caller. John Savage, quick question. I was wondering if you ever ran into the boys from Wire and yes. uh, what you thought of them and what you think of their new album or their new um, album. I, I haven't heard the new album. I was I wasn't when I was a rock journalist. I wasn't very friendly with a lot of groups because I didn't think that journalists and groups should hang out together. But I was friendly with Wire. Wire was one of the groups I, I really liked, and I'm still in regular touch with um, Colin Newman. Um, and I should also say, in relation to Wire, that um, that you should check out people interested in Wire should check out the stuff on Colin label Colin Newman's label Swim. SWIM, because some of the stuff he's put out is really good. Um, I haven't uh, heard the new album. I think he's going to send it to me. Um, so I can't comment. But, you know, I, re I really liked, um, I mean, you know, the year of Wire, that's, I mean, I really liked all the Wire albums when they came out, the first, the first you know, three. Um, and I think I, review I reviewed them playing and I reviewed one of their albums. And then, I, I mean, the, 
the, the wire era that's forgotten is the 80s um, wire. And, you know, one of the albums from that period in particular, A Bell is a Cup Until It's Struck, is a really, really good record. And people have forgotten that one. Um, but in answer to your question, I haven't heard the new one yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing it. Well, thanks so much, caller. Any other questions for John Savage? Okay, the caller is caller. Are you still there? Okay, we'll have a new caller. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Go ahead to John Savage. Hi, John. Uh, quick question. There's two bands I want to run by you. One of them from the early 80s. Was Can you called... speak up a tiny bit, caller? Yeah. It, one of the bands was called Urban Verbs, and they only put out two albums. Are you familiar with them? Sorry, who's the band? Urban Verbs. Urban Verbs. Weren't they a brother of somebody who was in Talking Heads? Yeah, I think they were. They were uh, American-based, and they put two albums out, but I can't find them anywhere. Uh, try www.musicstack.com. Okay. And one more band, the Comsat Angels. Yeah, they're from Sheffield. Didn't like them much, but okay. they're very highly regarded. I know, I know. I'm, I'm finding it hard to get some of their older stuff, but uh, just wanted to run them by you. Well, um, well, try this site, www.musicstacks.com, because um, it's not like eBay. You don't have to um, bid, you know. They just have records for sale, and you should find plenty of stuff there. How, okay. what, how do you spell that again, John, the website address of that? www. Music Stack, M-U-S-I-C, music, and then same word, S-T-A-C-K. Okay. Well, thanks so much, caller, and do 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 loot do Do-do. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Columbia, Canada, the 20-hour, 20-year interview marathon in a Nerdwater Human Zero Radio show. We're speaking here live. This is live. We've been playing a whole bunch of interviews for the past, say, Many hours, but right now we are live here with John Savage from are you in Vancouver, Nardwa. Yes, we're in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Because my grandfather came over to Vancouver in the early, you know, in the, in the 1920s to work as a logger. Really? How long did he stay? About three or four years. In- interesting. <laughs> Caller, are you there? I'm here. Go ahead to John Savage. John, uh, thanks for taking uh, all these questions. Uh, similar. Uh, vein as wire. I wonder if you know if Gilbert and Lewis are still producing anything. And the second question, if you were familiar with the residents. Uh, yes. Um, I don't think that Gilbert and Lewis are doing anything together. Um, uh, I mean, I would recommend, you probably know them anyway, the Bruce Gilbert solo records, which are pretty terrific. Uh, this Way to the Shivering Man and Inciting are two of them. And the residents, I did, was it on the first? Um, I think I did one of the first, yeah, the first reviews of the Residents' um, first three albums in the UK in late 77. So, and um, I was in touch with, well, I mean, you know, they wouldn't admit to being the Residents, but I was, I was in touch with um, a people from, what, from their company, which is called the Cryptic Corporation at the right. time. Um, and I do think Meet the Residents is a work of genius. And actually their single greatest moment was... Um, Beyond the Valley of the Day and the Life, which is that, right. which is their Beatles. You know, they just took a whole lot of Beatles records and 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 mashed them up. You know, it's very futuristic. It's one of the first kind of sampling records, really. Right. Well, thank well, you. Have you heard it? It's just uh, amazing. Excellent. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, caller, and do 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 do. 
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, speaking here to John Savage. When researching your book, again, this is kind of related, again, I guess, to the Nazi sort of stuff. When you're researching stuff on Hitler Youth and you're getting information such as, you know, like there were 17,000 youth crimes were committed, two-thirds were by the Hitler Youth. Where do you find information? Are there Nazi archives? I guess I find it kind of interesting of where you might get some of the information. Well, I mean, I, I, a lot of the information I got was actually from very special, from some books, and, and a lot of them are very specialised. Um, I didn't do an awful lot of um, archive research myse- uh, myself. I only hit about three or four archives just because of time. So those, that info actually came from books. I mean, there's a lot of very specific, very academic, very serious research done by, obviously, German historians. And there's, you know, quite a few of those books are translated into English. Um, and then it's just a question of reading through these very dense books and deciding what information is interesting. Um, so uh, that's what I did. Uh, the main archive research I did of my own. What I thought was interesting is you thanked Alan Bedrock, who's now passed away, and he was the master of post-1945 Teenage Mags, wasn't he? Who was Alan Bedrock, and how did he help you with your book, Teenage? It came out, because when I think of Alan Bedrock, I think of these amazing magazines he put out, like America's Greatest Exploitation magazines that I picked up, talking about all these great magazines from the 1960s. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and, and that, he was one of the archives that I hit. I hit about four archives, and his was one of them. Um, and that would have been right at the very early stages of the book, so it would have been about 10 years ago before he died. Um, what he really helped me on is that he had a few mags, pre-Second World War mags, um, youth exploitation mags, and he had a couple of fantastic swing fanzines, which are called a jitterbug. Um, and they were absolutely amazing, and I've never seen anything like it, and I've never seen anything... I've never seen them anywhere else. So he was, uh, he was really, really helpful. I don't know when he died. Um, I think it must have been about six or seven years ago. Um, but he was very... I mean, I met him probably in the days of the New York Rocker. He used to, he used to run the New York Rocker, um, which is a very good magazine in New York in the late 70s. John Savage, so. I noticed in Teenage you didn't mention the Sex Pistols until page 171, but you somehow fit in the Sex Pistols in a book that ends in 1945. Oh, well, you've got to, haven't you, really? Um, no, well, and also when I did teach them, it was, it was as a footnote. Uh, so I was very rigorous in actually keeping post-war references out of the main body of the book because I didn't want, I just wanted it to be a proper history of the time rather than you know, legitimizing the past by always referring to kind of what you know. It was more interesting to me, really, having written a book about what I knew or what I'd experienced, which is punk rock, to get, it was more interesting for me to go back and to write about something that I hadn't experienced. And then you have to start, you know, um, doing research and then putting yourself in the situation. You know, what did people think and feel they were doing you know why did the youth of europe go off to fight in the first world war you know didn't you know and they didn't know that they were going to get blown to bits uh why did german youth join the hitler youth you know um you have to instead of saying oh they're just horrible little fascists um you have to actually go back and think well they actually joined for what they thought were very good reasons or if they weren't very good reasons, they joined because they were coerced or they were forced to or whatever, but they joined for reasons, you know, 
are they joined for definite reasons? It's not good enough just to say, you know, we know this now. John Savage, what is the John Savage archive like? And I ask this because in England's Dreaming, there are some of John Lydon's handwritten lyrics, and they say courtesy, the John Savage archive. Do you have some original Sex Pistol lyrics? Where did you get them? And what's the John Savage archive like? Um, what happened, those were, those were lyrics handwritten at the time that the group got their Warner Brothers publishing deal in late 1977. So they weren't original working lyrics. Um, and I got them from my friend Jamie Reed. And I'm, I'm afraid they've been sold. Um, now, how much would something like that go for, if I dare may ask? Uh, you don't ask because there are tax implications. Okay, go ahead, John Savage. Um, uh, and, but, you know, I mean, well, I mean, check the archive houses. Um, in fact, not as much as you'd think, you know, not as much as you'd think, a four, you know, a low four-figure sum, I think. Um, and the John Savage archive that I wrote about, although I mentioned in the book, is I actually sold to a university in, in Britain. I sold to the Liverpool John Moores University, which, of course, is housed in Liverpool. And um, it comprises 20 archive boxes of punk rock-related material, and hopefully uh, the minute they're actually, you know, beginning to catalogue it and be beginning to store it, and hopefully it will be soon, it will be a resource that people from all over can come and have a look at, John which is why I sold it to a public institution rather than a private collector. John Savage, and we're speaking here to John Savage, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions for John Savage, author of England's Dreaming and brand new Teenage Out. Now, what I'm wondering, or email nardwar at nardwar.com, all part of the Nardwar Anniversary Show, 20 years, 20 hours, winding up here. Uh, John Savage, what have your dealings been with Johnny Rotten? If I remember, I remember Johnny Rotten having some interesting reactions to England's Dreaming. What have your interactions been with Johnny Rotten? Um, all my, actually, funnily enough, all my interactions with Johnny Rotten have been absolutely fine. Um, when I first met him, uh, I was very straightforward, and I approached him. It was the day that, the last day of the court case where he won back control from Malcolm McLaren in 1986. And I went up and said to him, look, I'm writing this book. I'd really like to interview for it. And, you know, I was very calm, very polite, wasn't stupid. Um, and he said, okay, you know, he's perfectly reasonable. And um, he gave me a very good he gave me a, he gave me a very good interview. Um, he said various things about the book when it came out, but I didn't take it seriously. And I met him a, a couple of years after that, and he'd, he'd you know he'd said various things. But I mean, he's Johnny Rotten, you know, he's 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 supposed to say things. It's it's showbiz, and um, he was actually, he was very nice and said, look, you know, there's things about the book I didn't really mean them. And I said, okay, that's fine. I know you didn't. And we had a bit of a joke, really. And um, so there's always going to be this difference between what Johnny Rotten is like if you get him by himself and the public image or the image when he's out with his, you know, with his bodyguards. If he's out with his bodyguards, you know, you don't want to know. And if you get him by himself, he'll be absolutely fine. What about Malcolm McLaren, John Savage? Does he get a bad rap? Because I always think Malcolm McLaren is just as a genius as Johnny Rotten. And without Malcolm McLaren, there wouldn't be a lot. Everybody in New York kind of slags him, says, you know, he steals stuff. The English people kind of slag him. Does Malcolm McLaren get a bad rap? 
Well, y- yes. Um, I mean, and is it... hasn't done any, himself any huge favours by not doing very much, really, in the last ten years of interest. He has all these great ideas but doesn't do very much. But, you know, I started the book basically with Malcolm because he did... He did he, I started England Streaming with Malcolm McLaren because he did, as you say, he set the whole thing up. And, uh, you know, without McLaren, no Johnny Rotten. And, and in many ways, um, the, uh, uh, the tragedy of those two, of McLaren and, and Leiden, is that they're actually both very similar. They're both Aquarians, and they're both incredibly obstinate. Um, um, and they both got, you know, these kind of strange and weird innovations. Um, and, but, you know, they are, they're both locked into this, you know, whatever it is, you know, between them, this antagonism. And in the end, the public is always going to go. The sympathy of the public is always going to be with the performer rather than the manager. And that's, that's just the way that things are. Caller, are you there? Oh, hello. Yes. You, you have a question for John Savage. Go I ahead to John Savage. And John Savage. Can you speak up a bit, Caller, too? Okay, John, thank you so much for celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with us. Um, I heard you speak earlier when uh, somebody called in and asked about the band Wire. I loved what you said, how you didn't feel it was appropriate to power Hello, out. sorry, could you speak up a bit? I yeah. can't quite hear you. I know you said Wire. Wire, right. Can you hear me now? How's yeah. that? Okay. When, yes, when the caller uh, asked the question earlier about the band Wire, and you said you didn't feel it was appropriate to pal around with bands in the days that you were a journalist, and I felt that to be um, a really important point, because what I see happening now are a lot of these so-called music journalists doing a hell of a lot of palling around with the musicians themselves, and we have this kind of journalist as celebrity culture, and I'm just wondering what you think of that. Okay. Um, I was very much reacting against a British music journalist called Nick Kent, who used to hang around with bands and then say nasty things about them afterwards, and I just thought that was pretty bad. Um, And so I decided that I just wasn't going to do it. Um, and that if I did hang around with bands, that I couldn't really write about them because it's, it's too much roll straight. I mean, I did break the rule a bit. I did sort of hang around a bit with Robin Gristle. But, I mean, very quickly, you know, I mean, I would have arguments with them um, about, what, you know, about what I wrote about them. So, you know, it, and, and I was very friendly with a woman called Polly Starry. And then she formed a band called X-Ray Specs, and I wrote a review of them that was kind of less than ecstatic, and she got really mad at me, and we weren't friends for a bit. So I just realized that it was completely untenable for a music journalist to be super friendly. And, you know, I would just approach it, uh, you know, obviously if I was, you know, writing about a group, I was writing about them because I liked them, so I didn't need to gush. Um, And, um, you know, I didn't want to share their drugs. And I didn't, you know, I was offered drugs a few times. And, you know, I didn't want to do that because I was working. Um, and also the kind of drugs I, I loathed, like cocaine. And um, I just thought it was a bit kind of, I mean, you know, you just go in and do the job and you're professional and nice and you have a bit of a laugh and then it's over, really, isn't it? Well, this is what I'm curious about because what it seems to be like to me, and I've been observing music journalists for more years than I care to admit, but it seems to be that there's 
been this progression towards the journalist as celebrity, where the journalist wants to be seen as palling around and, and hanging out with the celebrities, which to me is as ridiculous as a, a political reporter, you know, spending his holidays at, at Tony Blair's place and, you know, having steak with him. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I mean, but what you're really talking about is that that sort of thing wouldn't be tolerated in a political reporter because there's more value given to political reporting. Music journalism um, isn't really treated very seriously um, by major editors and by a lot of people, you know, by, um, by, you know, by publishers in general. Um, and it also, probably the biggest difference is that it has got t tainted by the cult of celebrity. And uh, it's my, you know, it's one of the reasons I live in North Wales is that, you know, I keep separate from all that stuff, all that stuff, because honestly, it just seems to turn people's brains into mush. No, I completely agree. And I mean, there's there's only a handful of people, yourself and Grail Marcus, uh, Chuck Klosterman, but a very small handful of people who are adhering to journalism as a sort of as a practice with some with some principles. Well, I mean, it's a great thing to do. Um, you know, I used to love reviewing gigs. Um, I still really like reviewing records. You know, I'm not so grand that I don't like reviewing records. I adore reviewing records. It's great to get a record. And you think, uh, do I like this? You say so you play it a bit, and you think, yeah, I do like this. Well, why do I like it? You know, what's it doing? Um, you know, what is it, you know, has it, is it different from what, from what the artist has done before? You know, how do you describe, you know, it, it's great. It's fun. And I used to love going to concerts and, and reviewing them, you know, and, and, um, and it's a good training. You're trained to observe, you know, what, what does the group play? You know, what's the audience like? How do they interact? What are they all wearing? What's the atmosphere like? You know, any new songs? You know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's just basic observational reportage, which is great. Um, the problem I have with a lot of music writing now um, is that... Um, too often, there's too much nostalgia. Uh, pop culture has become associated with, with not only with celebrity, but with this dreadful kind of comfort zone thing. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Everything's got to be in the bloody comfort zone, which means that people aren't allowed to use their brains anymore. Um, and sorry, but I, did, I didn't notice the law. You know, I didn't notice the passing of the law that made, you know, that, that said that everybody had to be stupid. Um, and, um, yeah, it's been tainted. It has been tainted by celebrity, and it's been tainted by kind of baby boomer nostalgia. And, um, yeah, it's pretty bad most of the time. <laughs> Thank you very much, Caller. Anything else you want to add at all, Caller, to John Savage? I know, Caller, you told me off air you love Goldsmiths, don't you, Caller? I'm an alumnus of Goldsmiths College in, in South London, and um, for, the word was there that there were a lot of um, seminal punk clubs around there. There's still people around in the New Cross area. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, with the full-face tattoos, and, of course, it's just around the corner from Deptford where the sniffing glue zine started. Uh, do you have any memories of that scene? Well, no, as I said before, I'm a West Londoner, so, you know, I need my passport to go to South London. Understood. I, uh, yeah, I can, I can completely... Uh, it's like if you're in New York and you've got to go out to Queens, or if you're in Manhattan and you've got to go out to Queens. Exactly. It's well, thank expedition. you very much for your work, and we really appreciate the, uh, the rigorous analysis that you do, and keep up the good work. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, caller, and do-do-do-do-do. 
Oh. So she didn't do it. <laughs> and you're still listening to CITR Radio, winding up here with John Savage, live from Wales. It's Nardwarda Human Serviette. 20 hours, 20 years interview marathon. This is a live interview with John Savage, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR if you have any questions, or email nardwar at nardwar.com. And do we have a caller? Hold on, let me just see right here if we have a caller right now. Caller, are you there? Hello? Caller, are you there? I'm here. Go, do you have a question for John Savage? Yes, I do. Uh, can you speak up and go ahead? Sure. Hi, John. I'm wondering about the clash, the legacy of the clash, and could it have ended any differently? So I'm you're sorry, you're going to have to speak up. I heard the clash. I didn't, hear, he I didn't went, hear anything else. The caller wondered if the legacy of the clash could have ended any differently. And... I saw the ending of The Clash. Mick Jones and Joe Strummer up on stage at a benefit gig for, like, minors. It ended that way just a few years ago, didn't it? Yeah. Um, ooh, that's a really complicated question. Um, I have a kind of emotional relationship with The Clash and that I kind of really loved them and I really hated them at the same time. Um, so I think probably not. Um, I'm very sad that Joe Strummer died uh, so young. He's actually just older than me, so it's very depressing when, when people your own age die. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, uh, I think the thing about I think there's two there's two things I'd like to say about the Clash. Really, the first three things. The first off is that that when they started, they were very different. Um, from the clash that everybody knew. They had paint-spattered clothes, and they played a whole, nearly half a whole set of songs that, that were never recorded, and they were very startling. Um, during 1977, they played some of the greatest shows that I've ever seen any rock band play. And then after 1978, I thought they descended into self-parody a lot of the time, even though they continued to make great records. And there were elements of what they did, they did that I didn't like so much. So... Um, and the other thing about the Clash that everybody says and everybody forgets is that half of the last album they did, which is called Cut the Crap, that everybody says is terrible, is not. Half of it's really great, and it includes a wonderful single called This Is England, which any Clash fan should hear because it's actually the last great Joe Strummer record. Well, thanks so much, caller, for phoning in, and do 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 And you're still listening to CITR Radio. We have another caller. Caller, are you there? Okay, I guess we lost that caller. But, John, back to your book, Teenage. I wanted to ask you, John Savage, and we're speaking here live to John Savage. In Teenage, you mentioned 1920s petting parties. And then you also mentioned the wild cliques on page 262 who had initiation rites where there were violent, sadistic group orgies. I know, doesn't that sound like fun? No, actually, it doesn't sound like fun at all. Uh, yeah, well, you know... Um one of the, the first great book about, the whole point of the book is the way in which um, it used to be that there was no, no um, intermediate stage between childhood and adulthood. And the whole point of the book is how this stage became first defined and identified and then built on and exploited. One of the first people to identify this stage of life was an American psychologist called G. Stanley Hall who in 1904 published a book called Adolescence, which defined this state, adolescence, as being between 15 and 24 years old. 
Oh, no, sorry, 13 and 24 years old. And one of the things he said, says, is that it is the period of very intense sex impulse. And so there you have it, really. And um, he also, you know, makes various comments about the, about the innate barbarism of that age. He was, a, he was a genetic psychologist, so prone to saying things like that. So you do have this kind of wildness that you have in adolescence um, that erupts you know, every now and then. And, of course, it's one of the things that adolescents or teenagers, as they're now called, do, is to annoy and frighten adults. Because it was interesting, you mentioned, I think it was the Paris Arts Ball from 1927, where people were sucking on serpents. And I thought that was really quite... Was there really serpent sucking going on, John Savage? I I, I think there was, and and maybe even worse. Or is that good? (laughs) I mean, were they enjoying it? Um... It's not my place. I didn't really. I mean, it's not something that I would. Um, I would choose to do. I happen to really like snakes, um, um, but I wouldn't suck on them. You know. When you described violent, sadistic group orgies, what exactly was that? Was an orgy the same as we might imagine or an orgy today? I'd have to go back to the source material, but um, I, I think I don't think that they gave huge details. Um, I think they left it to the imagination, which means that maybe a bit of imagination was employed in the description. Um, the point about the wild cliques is that they were kind of wild kids. They were like the German equivalent of the, of the children's army in America, the hobo kids, in the 1930s. So there were no adult rules, and it was the law of the jungle. Um, and so they, you know, there would have been sort of wild sexual activity as part of it. But who did what to whom, when, where, and why, um, I don't have the details of. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have probably put it in the book. Caller, are you there? Hi, Go ahead and speak up, if you could, to John Savage, live on the Nardwater Human Serviette 20-year, 20 20-hour 20 interview marathon. Go ahead, caller. Hallelujah, Can you... um, uh, Hi, John. Listen, I, I heard you were talking, uh, that you were hanging out with, with uh, Tropping Graceful guys, so could you tell me something? I really have to talk about John Balance. Uh, I'm sorry, to... I can't hear you talk. Sorry, you're going to have to speak a bit louder, Hans. Yeah, could you, could, could you st- tell me something more about John Balance and Coil, and especially last, the last two records, the music to play in the dark? Yeah, I, I have to say that I didn't like Coil and I didn't like John Balance personally. So my, um, I can't really say anything about them, uh, I'm afraid. Me, uh, why would you say that? Why didn't you like them? Uh, because I didn't think they liked me. They didn't like you. Yeah, well, the whole point was it all got very silly. When Throbbing Gristle split, I was identified as Genesis's friend. You know, it's like this is all like schoolyard stuff. And so, um, not on my part, I had to add. I have to add. Um, Sleazy and John decided they didn't like me. So I thought, well, you know, stuff you. Oh, well, okay, well, but you didn't like them personally, you just didn't like their music. The caller said you didn't like them personally or you didn't like their music. That's what the caller well, asked. Well, because I didn't like them personally, I, I, wasn't very, I, didn't, I didn't listen to the music, to be honest. And well, also, I, I, in, uh, more of a general point, and in a way that incident was part of it all, I didn't really, I got very, um, I really wanted to get away from that whole industrial scene very quickly. I, I didn't like it after a bit. I thought it got very negative and concentrated on the negative. 
and I didn't want to be associated with that, and I didn't want to be part of that, and I didn't want to listen to that. Um, and these, you know, it was my ambivalence about this stuff in the first place that led me to have arguments with Throbbing Gristle at the time, in 1977-1978, because I would always be arguing, well, you know, why are you concentrating on these mass murderers? You know, there is more to life than this. Okay, I can get your point. I, I can I can get it up to a point, but beyond the point, you know, there's no point in kind of wallowing in the mire. And um, I'm afraid I felt, you know, some of the industrial stuff tended to do that in the end. Any other That's- questions at all, caller? Okay, obviously, obviously, I can't ask you now about test department because you know you're obviously trying. Oh well, to no, they were different. Test department were different. Um, they were a very different vibe, um, and they they were. I thought test department were quite interesting, and it's good you mention them because they're they're very much forgotten. Yes, they are. They were very very different to me because they would um, they were more like um, a forerunner of the whole kind of acid house thing in that they'd find these weird venues and squat them and have these sort of very interesting parties. There'd be sort of welding going on and people like the Mutoid Waste Company would be around. And they also, um, they also recorded an album with, with Welsh miners, which is a very interesting thing to do. Oh, well, so I would say the test department actually were very different and very kind of uh, forgotten, unjustly forgotten about. Yeah, and especially the one they made, the Pax Britannica, which is absolutely brilliant thing. That's right. And, uh, well, well, I'll question, uh, well, I'm quite disappointed if you don't like Coyle, but, well, that's you all right. Uh, what can you tell me about Jeff Coleman and... Uh... What was that, caller? What can you tell me about Jeff Coleman from Killing Joke? I had the, I saw Killing Joke play in Eric's in Liverpool in 1979. I thought they were terrific. But again, I didn't really like the vibe. And, uh, you know, I'm very rigorous about this, I'm afraid. I got, um, after my experiences with Throbbing Gristle, I just didn't want any more negativity or negative vibes, I'm afraid, in music. I'd gone through the whole punk thing. I had, I'd had several years of it. I'd seen what it did to people. I didn't like it personally. And so, um, you know, I thought early Killing Joke were really good, but I haven't followed Jazz Colburn at all since. So, uh, it's not yeah, my I'm kind just, of music, really. I just, I, I mean, that's not to say it's bad or anything. It's just not for me, you know. And my, mm. my responses to this are very much to do with my own personal experience. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure your experience is different. No, because, you know, I'm not taking this as a negativity. I'm just taking it as a good criticism. Well, thank yeah, I'm sorry I can't hear you again. Uh, thank you very much, caller. Anything else you want to add to John Savage at all, caller? No, no, it's just like, well, I'm glad you are on air. And that's what I'm glad he, he, you having him. And, uh, well, I, I don't know. Well, I hope you're going to make another for 20 years. Well, thank you. We'll hopefully have the Nardwar 40th anniversary, and we can have you, caller, John Savage, and myself. Will you come on my 40th anniversary, John Savage? Yeah, if I'm still alive. Uh, okay, how about the 30th? Is that more realistic? Do you think that I should no, have a... No, I don't plan on dying in the next 20 years, but you never know, do you? Actually, bringing out caller and do-do-do-do-do. Well, to-do. And you're still listening to CITR Radio with John Savage. John, speaking of reunions, what reunions have you been to? Like, this is the 20th anniversary of the Nardwar show. Have you been to any anniversaries recently or gatherings? You mentioned you're not as big into the nostalgia, but have you been to any interesting gatherings, any exhibitions, anything like that? Any 20ths, 30ths, that sort of thing? Hmm. 
Like anything that's come up? I went to the sex. I went to the first Sex Pistols re- 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 Reformation gig. Was that at the Hundred Club in '96? Oh. Was well, that maybe not the first one? I went to Finsbury Park. I went to the first big one. And that was cool that they had the Buzzcocks open, right? That's right. I thought that was really neat that they had the Buzzcocks playing. But I think they also had American ska punk band like Goldfinger playing as well. So it was a bit mixed up. But it's nice that the Buzzcocks got some props there. And John Savage winding up here. What can you tell me about Vladimir Lenin's wife? He is mentioned, she is mentioned in your new book, Teenage. Lenin's wife. Oh, yeah. She, she, instituted, the, um, she instituted the Soviet youth group called the Komsomol. Um, and the idea, um, which was taken up by the Nazis later, that the Soviet state should have a cradle-to-grave um, organization for its youth, um, so that the indoctrination would start at an age about 10, they'd be put into organizations at about 10, and there'd be various different organizations until the age of 18, and then they'd go in the army. Um, and that sort of vision of organizing, you know, state organization of youth was later picked up, you know, in, in the about sort of uh, 15 years later by the Nazis for the Hitler Youth. So it's, it, it's, the, it's the totalitarian organization of youth. I was interested by those jazz clubs that were in Germany in the 19th, late 30s, early 40s. Like, I never thought they would exist, jazz clubs in Nazi Germany. Well, yes, it shows that, you know, the, you know the, 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 the Nazi state was a lot less sort of monolithic than people think. And, um, you know, kids could hear this stuff on the radio. I, um, I listening to, you know, British radio was forbidden and had very serious consequences. But people still listened to this stuff, and they still had the records that they bought before the war. And there's this great quote from, you know, somebody in the book where, where it says, you know, from this German to this um, American teenager, and they say, well, you know, when we're talking about art, there are no boundaries. And there's this great thing about music that it does can bring people together. Um, and it can be, you know, in a way, one of the sub-themes of the book is just how great swing music was and, and how... Um, how much it was used um, by teens, you know, in, in, in occupied Europe as a method of rebellion against the Nazis. Because, you know, there, were, um, there was this group called the Hamburg Swing Kids who defied the Nazis, and they were swing fans. And then there was this group in, uh, in Paris called the Zazu who, uh, who listened to American jazz and were very sarcastic and annoyed the Nazis. Um, and, in fact, they did something really great, when um, the Jews had to wear the yellow star in Paris in the occupied zones in 1942, the, uh, the Zazu made their own a yellow star. And, you know, to have the yellow star was the worst thing in the world. Um, and the, uh, they made their own yellow star. And in the middle of this yellow star, it said, swing. John Savage, author of Teenage and England's Dreaming. Thanks for phoning into the Nardwire Human Serviette radio show. Just a couple quick questions. Who did the artwork for your new book, Teenage? I love, like, the chapter dividers. Who did that artwork? It's really neat. Um, a Carla in my American publishers, um, she did it, and I have the original somewhere. No, I was really, really pleased with that. She came, she came up with that off, off, off her own bat. 
And you're mentioning Joy Division movie that you're working on. What did you think about the recent Joy Division movies that have come out? Control, and it was a documentary, and of course, 24-hour party people as well. What do you think about the Joy Division interest suddenly? Um, well, on one level, I'm very pleased about it because they were a great group, and it's good that they're getting attention. Um, and I think Ian Curtis would have been very pleased at the attention he's getting. Um, um, on the other hand, it's a bit weird because it's like one, having one's own private obsession go public. Um, and I haven't been to see the movies um, for a very specific reason. Um, and that reason is, is that I will want to write about all this again. And I don't want my memories stolen. And what happens when you go and see movies is that what you actually experience gets overlaid with this kind of fictional Im impression from the movie, and I just don't want that to happen. So, you know, I haven't seen 24-hour party people, and I haven't seen Control, and I don't think I will, really. Um, not because I think they're bad, um, but just because um, I, have my, I have my own memories, and I want to keep them. John Savage, I wanted to quickly read you a list of some of the people that were on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show before you, my 20th anniversary show. I, oh, start, yeah. I started last night at 9 p.m., and I'm going till 5 p.m. our time here. I know it's really late where you are. Thanks again for staying up late for the 20th anniversary of my radio show. I started in 1987, so it's 1987 <laughs> to 2007. I've gone 20 hours straight playing my favorite interviews from the past 20 years. We've even taken requests. People have been phoning. Somebody phoned in and requested a Johnny Marr interview that I did oh, that I did a few years ago. I didn't get to playing it and some of the interviews are on my website nardware.com but we've been taking requests. This interview is live with John Savage again. One last chance to talk to John Savage. Nardwar at nardware.com or 604-822-2487 604-UBC-CITR These are some of the people I had. This is going way back. Tell me if, I'm just curious if you've encountered any of these people or if you had any stories about this quickly. Do you have anything with Alice Cooper, Iggy Pop or Lydia Lunch? Any dealings with those people because they the, I began by playing DOA then Alice Cooper Iggy Pop Lydia Lunch no Sonic Youth Henry Rollins Crispin Glover Harlan Ellison or Tommy Lee of Motley Crue no I met Sonic Youth uh, at a Nirvana show in 1993 Courtney Love Beck or Tommy Chong yeah I met Courtney Love at the same show in 1993 how about Al Goldstein, William Cooper, Robert Anton Wilson, Bill Line, Bill Casing, or the Avengers from Los Angeles? Oh, the Avengers. Uh, did I see them play? I'm, I think I hung out with the Avengers in San Francisco in 1978, and they made one great uh, single called Car... Actually, they made two uh, great 45s. They had a 45 called Car Crash, and then they had an EP called The American in Me, and both of them were really terrific. And what's really interesting, they have a Vancouver connection too, just like you and your grandfather coming to Vancouver to go logging. One of the Avengers' later guitarists, Brad Kunt, a.k.a. Brad Kent, was from Vancouver and played in DOA, and he co-wrote Corpus Christi, one of the Avengers' great songs. So we have some Canadian connections too to the Avengers. Okay. And how about these people? Elijah Wood, Timothy Leary, Pierre Burton, or Guar? Nah. Enough's enough... Paul Gallagher. I interviewed Paul Gallagher. Not Liam, not Noel, but Paul Gallagher. He is the brother of Liam and Noel. Have you ever met him at all? No, I've interviewed um, Noel years ago in the first year of Oasis. 
Gerald Ford, Mikhail Gorbachev, Dan Quayle, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin, Johnny Legend, or Michael Moore? No. <laughs> Degrassi Kids or Snoop Doggy Dog? You, no. We already went to Snoop Doggy Dog, kind of, because you said you talked to Ice-T at one time during the L.A. riots. Yeah, no, I didn't. I never, I never got to dog. And now we are at John Savage, and of course... You know John Savage because you are John Savage. So thanks again for phoning in, John. And to end here, I have here something that I thought we would play to any interview. It's the Joe Meek Freak Beat compilation. What do you think of Joe Meek? I think you're a big fan of Joe oh, Meek, aren't you? I'm a fan of Joe Meek. I was brought up with, um, with jo you know, when Johnny Remember Me came out, I was sort of nine years. No, how old was I? Eight years old. And those records were huge in Britain. Johnny Remember Me. Uh, Wild Wind and, and Telstar, obviously, and Have I the Right by the Honeycombs. And the Freak Beat stuff is really, really great. Do you have any favorites here? There's a whole bunch here, John Savage, like The Buzz, The Syndicates, The Bicenters. Now, The Syndicate is interesting. They do Crawdaddy Simone, who The Horrors have now taken back. What do you think of The Horrors taking The Syndicates, Crawdaddy Simone? Is that kind of cool? Would it maybe turn kids on to Joe Meek? Well, I hope so. Um, it's very interesting that, that they should find inspiration um, because, you know, it's, it's quite esoteric, but I think you should play Crawdaddy Simone because it's really wild. Even though it kind of represents <laughs> the horrors. What can you say about the Syndicats and Joe Meek particularly? Because there's been quite a bit of interest in him. Is there a movie on Joe Meek as well? Is that kind of like one of your obsessions going mainstream too, John Savage, with Joe Meek movies and a Joe Meek play? Yeah, I mean, he's, um, well, he obviously had a very tragic end because he committed suicide and killed his, um, and killed his landlady in early 1967. And he was a very kind of tortured um, gay man. He took a lot of drugs, he took a lot of pills, um, and he worked incredibly hard. He made hundreds of records. He was very driven. Um, he was a real solo operator. He was working outside and, you know, breaking all the molds in, in actual production and also in the music industry itself. Um, and he was a real pioneer. And, um, you know, and his work has had a lot of admirers, not only in kind of rock music like the horrors, but also in, um, in ambient and dance music because he made some very futuristic records. I mean, another of his great records... Um, is Night of the Vampire by the Moon Trekkers, which is a kind of horror movie instrumental. It's just great. And that was from 1959, and that was banned by the BBC as being, quote, unsuitable for people of a nervous disposition. Um, so, and he made records with Screaming Old Such, and he made, obviously, the very famous Telstar, um, which is one of the first great instrumentals of the kind of media age. Um, so he was a real, he was a real pioneer. But his last big hit was um, was Have I the Right by the Honeycombs, and that was 64, and he was really knocked off by the Beatles. Um, and some of his later records, some of the Freak Beat records, are pretty, are pretty out there. There's a great, as, as well as Crawdaddy Simone, there's a great track by Paul, Paul Ritchie and the Crying, Crying Shames called Come On Back, which you might like to play as well, because that's really good. And that should be on that comp. It is, actually. It's track number two. Which one did you want to hear, Syndicates or Paul Ritchie? I think we only have time for one, believe it or not. I guess we I have... will play Paul Ritchie because it's more musical. The Syndicates is just pure, pure noise. Um, so play Paul Ritchie because it's kind of tuneful.
Well, thanks so much, Sean Savage. Really appreciate you phoning in to the Nardwar the Human Serviette 20-year, 20-hour interview marathon. We started yesterday at 9 p.m. We're going till today at 5 p.m. 20 years, 20 years worth of interviews for 20 hours on the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show. Really appreciate you phoning in, John Savage. Okay, congratulations, Nardwar. Well, thanks so much, John. Keep on rocking in the free world and doot, doodaloo, doo.